Welcome. This is the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome. This is the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast, and I am Joe McCall. And Alex, how are you, man? I'm good, man. I'm, uh, this is awesome. Like I said, we've been uh, it's been a little bit since we've done one of these, but we're back in it, and it's uh, it's great. Great guests, yes. great co-hosts. What more can you ask for? We recorded a bunch of them and just had a huge backlog of podcasts, and I did a bunch of videos kind of on my own with um, myself and Claude Diamond and a couple other folks that Yeah, great released. content. I like Claude a lot, and... So, but anyway, it it it's been cool. Uh, I I I would say I missed you, Alex, but you know that sounds kind of weird. <laughs> we still have to meet Joe, you know. So yeah. <laughs> but uh, I'm in Prague, the Czech Republic, right now. I think this is a lot of people on my list see my emails, my Facebook posts, and stuff, and already know that. But yeah, man, I'm in Prague. It, I I look around the city and kind of pinch myself a little bit, thinking, wow, I'm really here with. My whole family. I'm four kids. That's pretty sweet. It's awesome. We are going to be here for three months, at least. We don't have a return ticket, so we don't know when we're going back yet. And um, we rented a big three-bedroom flat. That a is flat. A flat. Nice. Yeah, that's what they're because they're flat. But they're. This is probably twice or three times as big as the one that we had for two months when we were here three years ago. And we just went to homeaway.com and found this place. Yeah, that that's in a, great. Yeah, I home love homeaway. Awesome. They rent it by the night normally, and we just said, hey, can, how can we want to get it for three months? So we got a huge discount, and it was really nice. It's right in the, right in the heart of Prague, and it's beautiful. We love it. It's awesome. And we're still flipping deals here. Still flipping deals. Gotta be. Gotta keep going. Keep the train moving. You've been doing virtual wholesaling for a long time. In fact, it's one of the things that you're known for, Alex. I mean, like yes. And you're wholesaling virtually in your own backyard and and in some markets around you. But I I looked at this business when I was first getting into it and thinking, you know, I I'm already doing this right here in my own backyard, flipping properties without seeing them. Why can't I do it from anywhere in the world? Why and, not? <laughs> It's, it's take it's, the system and duplicate it. Right. And that's all it is. It's a system. I was listening to, I forget who it was. Oh, Rob Swanson the other day. And he's got a new podcast out. And he was talking ah. about a real simple philosophy for business. And I, th I th think he, it's, I don't know if this was intentional, but they were S's. All, all of them were S's. Number one, simplify. Keep everything really simple. Number two, scale it. Once it's simple, no, no, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. It's real, once it's simple, then systemize it. Create a system out of it. And number three, scale it. And that yeah. is a real simple formula for success, right? So like if you want to have a lot of success in this business, you got to make sure that what you're doing is simple. you got to make sure that it can be systemized. You can create a system about it on it. And then, then when you have something that's simple and you have a system, a simple system, then you scale it. And that's a pretty simple formula for wholesaling, isn't it? 
Yeah, you know, a lot of times we make things so complicated, and I get, you know, myself, I'm guilty of this. I start a process. I sit down. I'm like, okay, I'm going to put this process together, and then you start thinking of all the little tangents and things that can happen. Or, you know, so you could say, for instance, say you wanted to do a um, automated probate, uh, you know, have VAs go in and pull probate stuff for you. Um Sometimes it's easy to say, okay, pull this list of errors and then take, uh, you know, take the, uh, the, the list of errors and their addresses and then also the executor and their address. Um, and, but there's so many different tangents that can go off. And it, sometimes if you look at all the details from that, you kind of can get frozen on it and do nothing. Right. You know? So right. you might as well just put something in place. And if it's not 100% perfect, uh, just let it run and, and tweak it along the way, but just, you, you know, you got to get it going or else it's going to do absolutely nothing. Exactly. And I think my new favorite phrase is this, done is the new perfect. Yeah, I like that. Done is the new perfect. It's done. It's not perfect. Just go with it. You can always fix it later. It doesn't have to be perfect before you get started on it. And, I, you know, lately too, I've been doing a lot more marketing and I'm just... I'm just sticking with the absentee owner list. I'm having good success with it. You look wow. at all the deals I've done, and I don't remember the exact percentage. 75, 80% of them are absentee owners. How, oh, how about this? I just thought of this phrase. Perfection is the killer of production. Whoa. <laughs> you just came up with that? I did. That is, that's fantastic. Perfection is the enemy of production. Yeah, we could we see that doesn't even need to be perfect. We could work on that phrase. <laughs> <laughs> How about this? The five P's. Um, yeah, well, now heard? we got three points in a poem. We're all set. <laughs> have you heard of the five P's? No. Oh, I, I don't. This has nothing to do with what we're talking about. But I just thought of it because you had your performance and productivity and uh, perfection thing. Uh, prior planning prevents piss poor performance. Yeah, yes, 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 yes. Now, that's a terror. That's like a military thing right there. <laughs> we should probably get to Andy before you start. Yeah, sorry, Andy. He's gonna there. he's gonna hang up pretty soon. <laughs> but I, I just wanted everybody listening to this know if I if I'm not sure when this podcast will be released, but I'm gonna be doing some extra special podcasts teaching people how to automate your wholesaling business. And um, those will be coming up soon. And I'm going to be talking about exactly how I'm wholesaling deals here in Prague. And it's pretty simple. It's, it's, uh, I did a webinar last night, Alex, and we had a ton of people on there. It was really fun. But I'm going to be turning a lot of that content into future podcast episodes. Sweet. Uh, Yeah. So cool. Let's just jump into uh, Andy. Uh, We have Andy McFarlane. Andy, how are you? Great. Awesome. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm sitting here listening to you guys. Like I feel like I'm listening to the podcast right now. I'm like, wait, I'm on the line. Yeah, I'm here. I'm yeah. on the line. Oh, you know what, guys? Um, this is so crazy because I'm in Europe now and I'm meeting a lot of people here. Uh, I we have a huge audience in England, and yeah, a lot of people listen to our podcast from all over the world, and we've known that for a long time. We look at the stats, and we have listeners from over like 160 different countries, and. I have we have a good friend that we've interviewed before. You remember Tom Wade, Alex? Yeah, I was that's the name I was going to say. Yeah. Yep. We're actually going to be doing a workshop together in Spain pretty soon. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Wow. But that's the uh he keeps on finding these people that telling that are telling him, "Hey, I heard you on Joe and Alex's podcast." 
Nice. It's amazing. I did a webinar the other day. I had people on there from the United Kingdom and from Argentina and another person from Switzerland and Norway. The rain in Spain stays mainly in the plain. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Do you know what that's from? No, I don't care to know either. Wow. That's a classic movie. What is it from? My Fair Lady. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Andy. Sorry. Uh, Alex is random, isn't he? I love yes. it. I am random. <laughs> um, so, Andy, you're a wholesaler. You're yes. working with uh, one of our mutual friends, Justin Williams. Yes. Over in Cal- Are you in California? You know, I, I was doing some stuff in California, and I'm not anymore. I'm not doing okay. stuff in California anymore. Where, where do you live? So I live in Utah, and I do business in Utah. I also do business in New Mexico and in Indiana, and I was formerly doing some business in California, too. Okay, cool. And nice. Are you doing a lot of stuff in Indiana right now? Uh, yeah, I actually am. Ah, we need to talk after yes. the podcast episode. Absolutely. Are you buying properties there or just wholesaling? What What are you doing? Um, I'm I'm wholesaling right now, but I am there. I actually picked that market because um, why not, right? And also, I wanted to keep some properties there, so What's I'm wholesaling them now, but I'm going to keep them. It's I'm a fantastic market. Wow, absolutely. Yep, that's why I decided to go there. So y- you know, three of my favorite markets right now, just from friends that I've been talking to clients and students that I have um, is Ohio, Indiana and Jackson, Mississippi, believe it or not. Those are some really hot markets right now where I'm seeing, and we do marketing all over the country for our clients. Right. And we're seeing about triple the response rates with our direct mail in places like Ohio and Indiana compared to what we're seeing in Florida and California and places like that, even Missouri. Oh, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. I, from market to market, the difference, you know, because of the different markets I'm in. I mean, even my own local market is uh, response rates are way down compared to some of my virtual markets. Right. Yeah, I've seen that too. Huge difference depending on where you're at. Huge difference. You know, I don't think that's just because the market's been rebounding. Because I remember when the market was really hot back in 05, 2005, 2006, there were still pockets around the country where people were doing a ton of deals, more deals than other parts of the country. And I, you just got to find out that, that I love that book, Who Moved My Cheese? And you just got to think <laughs> about where's the cheese now? Because it changes Where's all the, time. the cheese? Absolutely. Where's the cheese now and where is it going to be? Because we all know mm-hmm. this market right now is going to shift into something else for sure. sure. Oh, sure. yeah. Yep. Who knows? Maybe it'll be Montana. <laughs> <laughs> I doubt it. Might no. It might be Spain. <laughs> Hey, yes. you know, that's, uh, I'll, I'll mention the guy's name, Chris Sater. He's out there in Montana, isn't he? I like, let's talk. Let's do we this. We did it. Let's we did that with him. I like Chris. We we released his our interview with him uh, a few weeks ago as when we're recording this. Great feedback from the guy and from people listening to the podcast. Really good guy. Yeah. Uh, I like Chris. So, Andy, um, you been wholesaling a while talk maybe a little bit real quickly how did you get into real estate what were you doing before that oh, what was i doing before that you're gonna embarrass me here before i was getting into real estate um i was working as a, a guy on a dock i was just a dock worker loading um, loading and unloading big trailers huh. um, and i was i had read rich dad poor dad but i was working on the dock and i didn't have any money but that was kind of my w2 income to get started uh, investing in real estate and then i started investing in real estate on the side and then uh, the side thing became more money than I was making on the dock. And then uh, one day I was actually skateboarding on the dock. 
and the manager came out and he said, I mean, this was after work, I checked out and everything, I punched out the clock and they, uh, they didn't like that. So I came in the next day and they said, you know, you're gone for three days and let, let me know if you want, you know, come back on Monday and we'll let you know if you still have a job. So when I came back on Monday, they handed me my paycheck and said, you're done here. So, and that was it. That was the last time I worked for anybody else and well, it was a huge blessing. On the docks. You, you know who on else worked on the docks? Who? Rocky Balboa. <laughs> Oh, I don't know who rocked me, but if you want to make the comparison, that's a bit of a stretch. Let's do it. Alex, if you do it, then... That's where he started, man. I I like it. That's a great analogy. I think Johnny used to work on the docks, too, didn't he? Johnny used to work on the docks, yeah. Yeah. I think the union went on strike. down on his luck. Down on luck. It's so tough. So tough. (laughs) People know what we're talking about right now. Wow. (laughs) <laughs> I can be random Peter, too, Alex. Peter dreams Sorry. of running away. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. So, Sorry, how many that. years ago Maybe was that? It's okay. All right, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> I want to just play that bass line right now. Wow. Wow. out there. I used to play bass too, by the way, just random oh, tangents. Oh, sweet. All right, Joe, we're back. We're back. Right. How how many years ago did you do that? Um, God, that was back probably 13, 14 years ago. I've been doing real estate for 12 years now, 12 plus years now. Awesome. So, yeah, that was a while ago. All right, so you talk about your evolution and you, you do a lot of wholesaling now. What were you what did you start off doing? You know, I started off doing the first property I ever bought was a bank-owned, it was an illegal bank-owned, non-conforming triplex. And that probably just spun wow. a bunch of people's heads there. But basically, huh. it was just a <laughs> trashed bank-owned property. I had no clue. I didn't know what I didn't know. And I was just like, here's a bank-owned, dirty, ugly property. I should buy this. And I bought it with nothing but just just grit. And I didn't have any money. So I was in there just working, fixing things up. And I had no experience fixing things up. And I just basically went in there and I said, no one's going to tell me no. And I did whatever it took to fix it up. And at the end of that, I bought it, I fixed it up, um, I rented it out, I sold it on owner financing, um, and all of this within like a year and a half span. I just learned so much from that deal. And in fact, right now my company, one of my companies, primary company, is called Treehouse Investments, and people think that's kind of a weird name, but it comes from um, my first property, which was, I was just telling you about, I called it the Treehouse. You know we all nickname awesome. our properties. You call it whatever, like whatever street it's on, or, or whatever, whoever the seller was, something, it was my treehouse because I'd literally never done any sort of manual labor, like painting, <laughs> nailing. So I was like a kid building his treehouse, but I was like, you know what? I can do this. I always knew that I could do anything I wanted to. And I'm like, I'm going to do this. And that was it. I built my treehouse and I bought it, fixed it, rented it, sold it on owner financing. And I just kept going from there. Wow. Excellent. And so your primary strategy right now is wholesaling. Am I right? Yep. Absolutely, that's my primary whole. All right. Do strategy. you do you buy and hold? Keep any properties? I do actually. I do buy and hold as well. I I have a rental portfolio, a single of uh, residential stuff, fourplex, duplex, a lot of single family. But yeah, I do. I I believe in investing and keeping stuff for the long term as well. How many doors do you have? God, doors. I don't know. I've got about twenty like buildings between duplex, fourplex. Doors is probably twenty eight, thirty, something like that. All right. How many? Oh, yeah, you you probably know your numbers. I'm just curious, like how many doors do you feel like you need to have before you stop buying properties? Accumulating doors. Accumulating doors. <laughs> um, that's a good question. My doors, all all of my doors right now are in Utah, 
And Utah is not like the Midwest. I mean, it appreciates better, not as good as the sand states, but appreciates pretty decent. But yeah. the cash flow is not in the areas that I've got in. It's like it's not phenomenal, which is why I started looking at Indiana because I mean, well, the define define phenomenal. Yeah. What uh, it's not when I said it's not. What phenomenal. would be phenomenal cash flow? What would be? No, I'm not going to do the deal. Was two hundred dollars a month be phenomenal cash flow? Oh well, if we get in the rental conversation, two hundred dollars a month from like PITI, it's like yeah, not not for me. That's not phenomenal. I mean, my no, my doors okay. all do that at least, you know. But I'm talking yes. like real from net operating income, actual money left at the end of the day. Um, yes. my, my rentals all like pay for themselves that way. But as far as putting money in my pocket with it now, they do, but it's not as much as I would like for the equity that I've got, my return on equity. So that's right. why I look at a place like Indiana um, or any of those Midwest states and I think, okay, that's actually going to get me a better cash on cash return. Because at the end of the day, net, net, um, you know, you're going to get a 10 cap, a 12 cap. I mean, people might call it a 20, but it's like, look, let's be honest here. Like, what is it really after everything washes out, management and, and all the destruction that happens? Oh, in taxes. Time? Taxes are huge too. Just, you know, everything, right? You think about it in New York, right, where I grew up and where my parents live, their taxes are $9,000 a year. Wow. Oh, yeah. Ridiculous. You know, so if you don't have a mortgage, you're almost paying $1,000 a month. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, it's insane. Absolutely. So talk about, explain real quickly for those who don't know what a cap rate is. A capitalization rate basically is what is your property bringing in net per year? So then they call the net operating income is, you know, if you get $1,000 a month in rent, how much, how much do you actually get to keep after property taxes, insurance, after management, vacancy loss, collection, and impounds for capital improvements? I would also put into there. You, so whoa, the whoa, whoa, whoa. Impounds for capital improvements. That sounds. Uh oh. Uh oh. People don't <laughs> do this. Oh, sounds scary. <laughs> uh oh. Impounds for capital improvements. Because if you don't put that into your net operating income, if you don't put that into your, your figures, yeah. Like roofs wear out, concrete yeah. will eventually. Yes, um, they like do. houses need to be painted. There's things that are kind of like we don't think about because it doesn't happen every year or two. But when that roof wears out and you're enjoying that $200 a month cash flow and then you've got to write a $7,000 check, gone. So I look at things like that and say, okay, what's it really doing over time? Because exactly. I've owned rentals for years now. So I know what really happens. Furnaces go out, hot water heaters need to be replaced. And that's just kind of maintenance stuff, capital improvement stuff. That um, a lot of new investors don't they don't look at when they're when they're buying rental properties. So and important, so important, especially if you're a wholesaler and you're advertising properties with a twenty percent cap rate or whatever. Oh my gosh, like, man! Come on, I'm gonna, I'm gonna I'm gonna come in here with a with a new segment really fast. I'm gonna call it "Would You Do the Deal?" Okay, ah. so I've I've got a uh, <laughs> I've got a property that I'm, I could take subject to, and I was thinking about just flipping it out. Um, let's see. All right. So this, pro let's start with this property. This property, uh, is worth 235 fixed up. Um, I've got it under contract for 132. Uh, the payments are 1179 a month PITI. That means principal interest taxes and insurance. Um, and, uh, to get it into rental shape, you maybe got to put 20,000 into it and it would rent for 1315 to 14. 1350 to 1400 a month. Would you do the deal as a rental or would you flip it? Flip it. Flip it. You have okay. 100 you have why a or why not? Wait, wait, wait. What what year was the house built? Uh that house is built in the early 80s. Uh, that's a tween. I'd flip it still. I mean the numbers I don't 
love the numbers. And last two, hang on a second. There's some other variables too. Is this in an area that you, it's like an appreciating area? This is it, Virginia. Is this going to be it's going? It's Virginia up? Beach. The oh, everybody okay. wants Virginia Beach properties here. I mean, I could probably wholesale it. Okay, so I could probably wholesale it right now and make about twenty five thousand. To uh, a, to a rehabber or to a retail? To market? a rehabber, rehabber. Okay. Or I could wholesale it. Or or put some money into it and maybe make well see that's the question yeah I'm not gonna rehab it if I can make thirty five thousand on a rehab or wholesale it and make twenty five right but I'm you thinking know, about rental I, I think it depends on where you're at in your investing career like if you're looking to get some doors that are gonna appreciate stuff like that I property am looking to get some doors <laughs> I mean that one it's probably gonna be I mean over time it's probably gonna be negative hundred to two hundred bucks a month like like truly. Um, yeah. but, but it's going to appreciate probably better than that. And if you've got active income, which you do from your business, you might be able to stand to take a little bit of a, I mean, you're not taking a hit every month, but you know what I'm saying with capital improvements and stuff. Um, something like that that's going to appreciate. Um, if that's where you're at in your career, I, I might keep it. I might do a little. Interesting. It, there. So it depends on where you're at though. For it, it, There's other variables need to come into play. Does well, the seller, is the seller expecting any cash? Uh, well, I'm buying it for, well, I'm taking subject to at one twenty five, and he's getting seven thousand dollars out of it. Is it okay. a good loan? Like, yeah, yeah, good. the loan is actually okay. It's uh, about six years old, I think, though. Six years old. Okay, so it's still not too and heavy. The interest rate is fixed. Payments are fixed. Interest is fixed. Yep. Yeah, hmm. I mean, hmm. I'm partial. Like, if, as long as it's not like a weird. FHA loan, you're scared to getting called and getting blacklisted or whatever. I, uh, <laughs> I, I actually, I, I don't hate that. I mean, if you've got active income somewhere else, because like, I mean, if you've got, if you flip a lot of well, property, if you get called on it, you could come in with with a, with a private money and 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 cash it out. You know, because it's not you have like you have because one you have minute. enough equity in it. It's not like beat the clock to get yeah, yeah. The, you know to to get out of it. They're not like oh, we're taking it now. <laughs> they got to go through a lengthy process. Called. I've actually had some called, so or I've had one called. So yeah. have you really? Wow. Because you bought I it have. sub two. I bought it sub two and actually had it called. I, I've always tell people like no one's gonna call it. Now did the did it. the seller act crazy on you and do that to you though? No, the seller didn't act crazy. Actually, it was Wells Fargo, and it was a house that was in foreclosure, and I bailed them out of foreclosure. Basically, caught everything up, paid all the arrearage. It was like yeah. fifteen grand, right? And then I was just gonna keep it because I was just doing a subject two just to flip it short term, and I caught everything up. And we transferred title and did the whole deal. And Wells Fargo sent a letter out saying, we noticed that title transferred. You can't do that. You need to pay. But what did I do? I pretty much ignored it because how long is it going to take them to initiate the foreclosure and do it? And 45 days. Yeah. yeah. So I just ignored them, flipped it. They got paid off in like four months. So it was fine. You know, but I yeah. didn't. But I was, if I was keeping it long term, then I would have had to come up with some of my own cash or well, something. Yeah. This just goes to show how important it is that the numbers work. I mean, absolutely. If if you would have, um, if there wasn't any equity in there and you you didn't have multiple exit strategies, you you would have been could have gotten in trouble. Oh yeah, yeah. You got to be careful with that stuff, especially because if you put money into that, which I think I caught up fifteen thousand dollars worth of stuff, and I think I paid the seller twenty grand or something because it was a it was a really good deal. Um, he had a lot of equity, but. Yeah, you well, can get stuck with something. We're, we're going on a little rabbit trail here, but I think Sorry. this is good. No, this is, is excellent. This, this is a new segment. Would I, you do the deal? I like it a lot. We should do that again. But my question is this, though. Do you think because interest rates are probably going to be coming back up in the next few years that banks are going to start They're calling be more up. loans due? Yeah. Ooh, good question. Good question. Uh, because, I you know, it can happen. 
they're they're making five percent on their money here. They find out it's been um, the, the the titles transferred. They want their money back so they can earn six seven percent somewhere else with yeah, that money. It, it could happen. It but to foreclose on a house and take it back, though, that's a big. I've heard foreclosures that cost banks, you know, twenty thousand dollars plus. So yeah, I I don't think it's I don't think it's going to happen. Honestly, I don't think they're going to raise rates that fast and aggressive that we're going to be. Everything's looking at a gradual it. thing, you yeah, know. Just so. like people are scared of the market, right? Stuff doesn't tank overnight like a stock. Things right. happen gradually, so it's not like you're immediately going to be like, "Well, the market's changed now. I can't sell anything, and I'm screwed." <laughs> you know, Walmart. That's, that's, that's a thing to bring up to people too. They're listening if they're new in real estate. I mean, I've been in this 12 years, so I lived through the disaster of 2007, 2008, and really, yeah. it. Was, I mean, that was as fast moving as any market probably was moving, but it wasn't that. I mean, you could get out. Yeah. I mean, you were taking yeah. a loss. It was people not willing to take their loss. My house is worth a hundred. I'm only selling it for 100 and then like the, then it was worth 90 like 3 months later and they weren't willing to drop and they drop it to 92. It's like chasing the market down, right? Catching that fall knife. If you're yeah. willing to just cut your losses and say let's get out of this thing, dump it, then you're going to be fine. That's interesting. I, I like the should what's the segment called again? Should I Would you do the deal? Would you do, do the, deal? the deal? We need to remember to do that more often. I think, you know, after talking to you more about it, I might stay into it as well. I mean, if it's a good appreciating market, you're, you you only have what twenty five thirty thirty grand into it. Um, if you hold that thing for twenty years and get it paid off, that's going to well, be. Well, that's the thing because I could take twenty five thousand now, get taxed on it, give my money to Uncle Sam, or you go long term on it and you will make way more than twenty five thousand dollars. And you get to write off. This is going to give you more uh, write offs, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I, I've got another one, but I don't think we have time for it. <laughs> yeah, we got Andy. Long term, long term is always better. I, I think. I mean, obviously, anybody that's studied real estate knows it's the long term game that really wins over time. But people listen to this show probably because it's the short term that's sexy, right? You flipping properties make very money. sexy because well, people gotta live. You gotta live, you know. But if you've got enough money to live, then at that point, you really need to take a hard look at like, okay, let's not flip everything. Let's yeah, keep some I, stuff sense. I mean, Michael Jake, he's a great guy. He's, uh, I was going to say Michael Jake. I he's like, why do you want to sell this thing? Oh, yeah. <laughs> he's, like, he's like, you know, why do you want to sell these things? Because here's the other thing. I mean, you can, you can do, you could get the deal, take it subject to, then you get owner, you know, then you get uh, a down payment from somebody coming in. So you get a little short term cash flow. And then you could, you, you don't get the whole landlord thing going on because you could do a lease option. If well, you, are you if still legal in your state? You still you know, going to do a lease option on that though? I would think you would because then you don't have maintenance and you could charge more on your uh, rent. Well, you maybe credit it back if they buy it. I don't know if this is a long term play for you though. I would probably just take the first, the best person that you can get. Maybe it's a lease option or maybe not. But I would probably I think he be does more lease options actually. Maybe, but I mean, what if? Would you turn down somebody though who has real good employment, really good credit? They just want to rent for a few years. No, 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 I wouldn't. Hmm. You could advertise it as a rental or a lease option, right? Because the thing about this though, your 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 uh, out sale, your boom is going to be a lot bigger if you sell it on a lease option. Because let's say you get somebody in there, you say, okay, I'm going to sell this for two thirty five. 
and you're in it at, say, 160, they've been giving you monthly cash flow, they put money down, and let's say magically the sun, moon, and the stars align, and they get a loan at 235, no realtor costs, no commissions, barely any closing costs, you're going to make a pretty penny when that thing finally outsells. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Long-term and long-term capital gains too. Um, yeah. But you know, from the 10,000-foot view, I look at this and think, and people always argue, are you a real estate investor or are you just like a flipper? And I've, We're investors, the guy, man. The guys that are like old stages that have made tons of money in this business, they're all the long-term buy and hold guys. But you've got to be able to hold it. You've got to be able to hold it for that long and you've got to be able to live in the short term. So I'm both. I've got a great business that gives me a ton of cash, a passive or a ton of like active cash. But then also I recognize that I've got to be able to put it on the other side too as the investment side. I've got to put it into... Uh, notes. I've got to put it into retirement. Yeah, yeah build it for retirement. So I'm I'm both, you know. So I'm not saying, hey, I mean, I don't want to go get a job at Walmart. So like, you know, how many <laughs> can say oh, cash working at Walmart to flip properties, right? Or to not to flip and- properties, the whole properties. So. Andy, where do I find the baking soda? <laughs> the baking soda. <laughs> um, aisle thirteen in the back left. I I was I used to work at Walmart when I was in high school or college or something and somebody nice somebody asked me where the diapers were one time and I told them in the plumbing department. <laughs> <laughs> Aisle thirty two. Yeah, well, anyway, we we talked about the cap rate thing, right? I think it's so important because it's. I had a wholesaler send a deal to me the other day and they were talking about uh, twenty or thirty percent ROI or cash on cash. Oh and gosh. The only expense he he figured in was taxes and property management. He had nothing in his numbers there for vacancies or repairs or impounding capital improvements. Um, And it's really, really important when you look at your numbers and you're predicting or projecting your cash flow. Spreadsheets will tell you whatever you want to hear, whatever you want to see. But you really need to look at adding in money, and so many people forget this, vacancies, uh, repairs, future improvements, when you're looking at your numbers, Andy, generally is a good rule of thumb. Are you looking at like 50% of your gross rent is really what your net operating income is going to be? Does that make there sense? There you go. 60% if I'm managing it myself. But yeah, 50%. You're absolutely on. And I've got, in fact, I've got a funny story about this. My neighbor, um, again, hopefully he never listens to this. I don't think he does. <laughs> he, he's an accountant. He's like partners in an accounting firm, right? He knows his numbers seemingly, Okay. He's buying properties in the Midwest somewhere. I'm not going to mention the market. It's going to be in trouble. But he's buying stuff. And he's like, yeah, I'm getting 20% returns. So I dug a little deeper, right? Because I'm interested in this stuff. Yeah. He says, yo, so here's what they do. It rents for 700 a month. So times that by 12, you know, $8,400 a year. And he's like, and I'm, and I'm buying it for, you know, $42,000. He's like, every time, you know, I'm making 20% returns. And I look at that and I think that's a 10 cap, right? Cut his numbers in half. But he's an accountant and he's taking it off of gross scheduled income. And that's, it's ridiculous to wow. me. That's what people do. As an accountant, I thought, I said, well, who pays the taxes and insurance? And he's like, oh, it's always rented. You know, it's always rented. And there's no vacancy. And there's, they always pay because it's Section 8 or whatever. And I'm just like, dude, you got Section 8. You better put some capital improvements in there. Dude. Like, they're going to destroy some stuff. So anyway, and that's, that's, so you think, like, the layperson doesn't understand stuff. This guy's an accountant. Wow. So anyway, buyer beware, guys. Like, just know what you're getting into, right? Know what you're getting into. Well, I've been there, done that, and I have that T-shirt. Okay, of, cool. Of figuring out, like, you know what? And, and that was one of the problems, not to bash the Rich Dad Poor Dad book, because that's what got me started in the business, but I don't think that book did a good enough job explaining to people 
what real cash flow is. And the whole idea is, you know, you just get enough passive income to surpass your expenses and you're out of the rat race. And what really is passive income? And is rental real estate really all that passive? And it, it can be mostly passive if it's managed right. But I would have saved myself so much trouble and pain if I would have um, bought properties with better fundamentals and reserved money every month for the unexpected things that happen and always will happen in, in owning rental properties. Does that make sense? Absolutely. You can't expect to live off that cash flow. You kind of almost have to just put it right back into the business into some kind of a reserve fund mm-hmm. or put it to pay down properties to speed your uh, wealth development. Yes, absolutely. Here's what I, right. here's what I think. I think real estate uh, long-term is a great place to grow your money. So if you put 10000 down, you're gonna, you leveraged, your leverage return is going to be you know, good and over time you're going to be able to harvest more money from equity pay down and all that stuff or principal pay down. But I think if people are looking for, if you're buying in decent areas, right, like Alex's Virginia Beach thing, if you're smart, if you're buying, I think you can think five to eight percent like over time. And I know it's not sexy to people, but like owning rental properties, maybe 10 percent if you're getting like really good deals and stuff. But like if you plan on that, then I think you're going to be a winner. Like Mike Jake, I mean, if you look at his stuff, I bet you those areas he's making six, seven, eight percent, yeah, truly on those properties um, because they're not, you know, D grade properties. He's probably buying B, B plus stuff. So, yeah. um, but I'm just, but people always get wow, like I want the twenty percent. Like, just go for the base hit there and get the equity appreciation and all that stuff, and you're going to win. It's just long term, you know. Don't don't look for a lot. That's really good, and and you're buying properties in good neighborhoods. Absolutely. Which which yeah. makes a huge difference because they're just easier to find good tenants in those yep. kinds of areas. And I can, man, I can, you, you've all got the t-shirts of this stuff too, but Section 8 renters and stuff, it's like, it sounds good. It looks good in the short term, but when it turns over in a year or two and you've got to just put another 10,000 into that unit and, you know, they're kicked off Section 8 and go try, go get, I mean, I've got tons of judgments from Section 8 tenants, right? Good luck. Anybody want to buy them from me? Email me. I mean. Well, I thought Section later. 8 was supposed to repair the house. Yeah, Section exactly. 8 is the way, man. Guaranteed you're, checks. And this isn't like bag on Section 8 day because if you're a good manager and if you can like make your house as bulletproof and that's your strategy, absolutely go for it. But don't think that it's just easy money. I mean the, the funniest thing for me with Section 8 is they have an inspection when you move in and they move into this property. You've got it clean so like the inspection works. They move into your property. A year later, they re-inspect. Same tenants there and they give you a list of repairs and I'm like, wait a second. They, they were there for a year. Shouldn't they repair it? Nope. You've got to fix this up before we can renew this contract. And I'm just like, oh my goodness. Like, it just makes no sense, right? So, but if you want to play that game, just play it well and know what you're getting into. But personally, I'm not a, I'm not a good enough manager to manage that stuff. So, sorry, well, that was a rant. <laughs> well, but when a tenant does have to be evicted, doesn't Section 8 pay for some of the repairs? Uh, not in my world. Did they in your world? Well, I've never had Section 8 because I never... No. No, in sec- I mean, when a tenant needs to be evicted and they're not paying or somehow they get kicked off of Section 8, then it's just like, I'm sorry, good luck, get them out of your house. I mean, deal with it, right? Like, and, and these are people that, you know, you can't, you can't garnish their wages or anything. I mean, it's just getting blood from a turnip, right? They have nothing. So it's like, then it's on you to get them out of the house and all that stuff. So my deal with Section 8 is you're going to get above market rent. And if that above market rent over time can pay you enough to deal with um, the damages and the excess management stuff that has to happen there, then you're a winner. And, and my, I, I figured it was three years. 
If I could keep them there for three years, then I won. If they were turned over in less than three years, then I lost. But if you can keep long, long, long-term Section 8 people in there, yeah, you're going to win. But this just needs to be a management strategy. <laughs> I didn't know this was going to turn into a show on uh, oh, I didn't what either. about Section 8. But yeah, I've got, I've got opinions, man. I Coming got from all angles on this one. Yeah, I got, I got the T-shirt too, but well, yeah, that's... One of the things we were talking about before the show, and, and maybe I'd like to talk about this, Andy, is I'm starting to do more and more offers uh, sending letter of intents to every single lead that comes in. If I have an address, I'm sending them an offer in the mail. And I, I mean, I don't care if they tell me to jump off a cliff and die. I'm going to send them an offer because I want to follow up and I want to follow up relentlessly with every single lead that comes in. And so one of the things I've been doing is sending letters of intent like options with different options in the letter. It's not a contract. It's just, you know, hey, I understand maybe now's not a good time for you to sell your house, but if circumstances change or something, then we'd really be interested in talking to you again. And so here are some numbers and potential ways that we may be able to buy your house. The first option would be cash. The second option would be seller financing with 5% down, let's say, and 5% interest-only payments with a balloon in 10 years. The third option may be seller financing with principal-only payments. And then the fourth option, if I do another option, may be lease purchase, depending on the kind of home it is. Um, and so you do some seller financing yourself, and you've done some deals where you, you've you done similar structures where you've even maybe wholesaled or sold homes that you have under contract with seller financing. Can you talk about your philosophy on that too as well? Do you make multiple offers to sellers? What do you make if, – if a seller rejects your cash offer, what do you do then? See, I'm kind of a different animal. Um, I come from the world of actually being like, and, and you guys did too, I think, um, being knee to knee with the seller. Like, I would go there and like I would close my deals up until like a um, year and a half, two years ago. I would go close on almost all of my sellers locally. Okay. So I've always come from that from the standpoint of I'm not just going to throw something in the wall and see what sticks. I would go there and I would literally just dive into their world. First of all, I'd get into rapport with them, do all that. I love people. I love I love like meeting people, hearing their stories. But once I'm getting in rapport with them, I'm going to sit there and say, now, what are we trying to make happen here, Joe? Like, What are we trying to make happen? And then they're going to tell me all their stuff and they're friends with me. And I'm going to hear those things and I'm going to take look at all the tools in my in my uh, toolbox and I'm going to pull out the one that works best for them. And if that one, if, if I'm wrong and that doesn't work best for them, I'm going to pull out the next one and the next one. I'm looking at it saying, how, how can I, if I can solve your problem, I'm going to find a way to solve your problem and I'm going to get that deal. And if that means seller financing, we're going to do seller financing. If that means some sort of a partnership, if that means I buy it for cash, whatever it is, I'm going to solve their problem. And I always go to there saying like, don't tell me I can't get it done. How are we going to get this deal done? I always yeah. took that, that feeling with sellers. And I'm like, if anybody can do it, I can do it. Like, let's, let's make this happen. And I was, and it was not like no two deals were the same. I would look at every seller and say, what is your specific needs? And if you've been working with sellers, and I think you guys have, you know, it's not always money. People assume that haven't worked with sellers a lot. They think, oh, it's all money. They just want money. They just want money. That's absolutely not true. It's not true. They have other needs that they want. They don't want to deal with hassles. They, um, you know, they, they want to be somewhere quickly, whatever. It's not necessarily about getting the most money for a property. So if you listen to them, then you craft a solution that meets their needs. I mean, you're going to win 99% of the time. That's that's the way I take it. That's phenomenal. Everybody listening should that's rewind. huge. Yeah, that's really- the difference between the men and the boys on that one because you know you realize, um, and it's kind of funny. You know, I'm, I'm looking at uh, all these different with the new house I'm building, and you look at uh, the different contractors and the prices that they give you, and one of the big things that can kill you 
on anything is when you go in and you just looking for the cheapest price because if you <laughs> if you do you're going to end up paying maybe even more than what you thought you would have saved by going with the cheapest price sometimes it has to do with reliability mm-hmm. it has to do with the ability to get the job done and not just somebody that's giving you a low price to get you in the door and that's going to screw you over later same thing with houses you know if you're dealing well, a lot of times we're dealing with sophisticated people they understand that. And if you come across with that credibility, just like you said, Andy, I mean, right there, I was ready to sell you my house, you know? Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> That's going to be a segment. Get Andy to sell. sell Alex, the- Alex sells the house to Andy. <laughs> Would you do this deal? Would you do this deal? Get it done. I promise you that. It's a win-win. Boom. All right. So and definitely then- I get it. Now, it's important to have that attitude when you're meeting with a seller. I'm not walking out of this house unless they have a contract and it's about meeting their needs. Absolutely. So you said though a year and a half, you've not been doing that or something. What what did I I miss? Look a year and a half ago, like, so I've got multiple different areas. I've got three acquisition managers who basically are the salespeople in those areas. So a year and a half ago in Utah, my acquisition manager, I, I brought her in and I haven't closed sales there, but I've probably done like eight, or ten in the last year and a half, just because stuff comes up and I'll and I'll go do stuff. So I still like am in the saddle doing it a little bit. But I would before that. I mean, you got to stay sharp, man. You but, stay sharp. Before that, yeah, you got to stay sharp. But before that, I mean, I was doing like I was in sellers. I mean, I probably I mean, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. Like I've just done it so many times, right? So and what I don't have know you if you done? guys have that. You, you, I mean, that's a hard one because giving over, and that's something that I struggle with. Is saying nobody's going to be able to close this person better than me, right? And I'm sure that was yeah. a hurdle you had to come, overcome. Huge, did, huge. What did you do to do that? Or I mean, yeah. dealing with these people, are you are, number one? Are you paying them on commission? Are you pay them a salary plus bonuses, or how are you doing that? Yeah, they, yeah, they they get a piece of it. I mean, our incentives are aligned there, um, definitely for them to get the best deal possible for me. But yeah, like you said, there, that's a tough piece to give up because that's the lifeblood. Like that is it. Like yeah. the close, like giving that up. So, um, yeah, I mean, we haven't talked about my business and how it's structured and stuff. I got a lot of people helping me in the business. We need right? like truly, a part five for this. Maybe a part five. Part five. <laughs> I truly like work on my business rather than in my business. I mean, I'm like you, Joe. I get deals now and like I never see them. I never talk to the sellers, but I, I, mean, I definitely get a piece of it. It just happens. It's just a machine. Um, but the last piece I gave up, I mean, I, it was my sacred cow. I was like, no way somebody can go close it like I'm going to close it. Um, right. But I was holding myself back and I was, I was spending a ton of time doing that. And that's not scalable, obviously, if you're trying to go see no. every seller, right? So um, I brought in a salesperson somewhat reluctantly um, and then I brought her to appointments with me. But she's a good salesperson. She's just good at sales. She knew nothing about real estate. We went to four appointments together, I kid you not. And I showed her like, I showed her like, here's what I, yeah, I showed her appointment, 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 appointment. And at the end of a like, couple of those appointments, she was just like, well, here's how I would have done it. And I'm like, look, that's awesome. That's the way you do it. And then we <laughs> had one where like somebody was calling back, like I had to go one direction and I had to go the other direction at the same time to get a contract signed. And she's like, look, just let me go take that one. And I was like, okay. I'm like, just, just go get it. And she Don't did. Don't mess it up. <laughs> she seriously, on, like on the fourth one together, she went one direction. I went the other direction. We both got the contract, and that was it for me. I never have ever been to another point with her. It's been a year and a half. Wow. She's Dude, awesome. that's awesome. But that said, um, she was good because she's just good at sales, but then I needed to tune her up with that real estate knowledge, which is why I've built trainings for her on like uh, lots of different things, how I do the reverse math, how I educate the sellers, how I adjust value on site, how I do pre-work before an appointment. And finally, the last thing I did a couple of months ago was on selling seller finance. Because you can imagine you're a good salesperson. But if you don't know, have the tools to be able to explain something to somebody, you can't sell it to them. 
So I, I did a training for her and some of my other people um, on how to sell seller finance to a seller. Because as a salesperson, like I don't know if you guys probably know this, you need to believe in your product. And if you don't believe in your product, you can't sell it. So I needed to show her, and I did through this training, that the seller financing deals are actually better for the seller for a number of reasons, depending on their circumstances. So I showed her that so that when she sees those circumstances, she can pull out the seller finance tool and she can sell it appropriately because she can say, no, Mr. Seller, like this is absolutely better for you because that's what I want. I want win-win scenarios, but she can't sell it unless she understands it. So that's why I did the training. Can we, I'd love to talk more about that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and we've come up to a good, probably a good stopping point on this podcast. And can we do that with you on a part two, Andy? Absolutely. I love it. I love this stuff, man. Part five. Is like part five. <laughs> when are Alex and I going to sing? When are we going to sing? Uh, <laughs> is that part three or is that part six? We were talking about Justin Williams, and you work with Justin Williams a little bit. Yeah. I, well, you still do, right? Oh, well, Justin and I, we, we do education stuff together. I mean, right. he's a huge volume flipper, and I'm, a, and I'm a volume wholesaler. So we're both just like, and we're friends. So I was like, man, you teach that side, I'll teach this side. And, and that's what we do together. <laughs> I love his podcast. So I love Justin. And uh, I mean, in a good way, right? Uh, anyway. Dude, I know where you're going with this, Joe. <laughs> Every time we do a live event together, yeah. I, I make him sing. <laughs> I say, Justin, sing. You guys want to hear him sing? And everybody's like, yeah. I saw like, that on, video. Justin, that was funny. He does. He has this podcast, House Flipping HQ. Everybody should go check it out, House Flipping yeah. HQ. And I was – I don't know what happened. I i finished one podcast episode, and I forgot it was even playing. And all of a sudden, I hear this Arabic singing on my speakers. Arabic. I'm like, what? Who's singing in Arabic through my speakers right now? And I'm listening like 30 seconds. What on earth is that? And then finally, I reckon it's Justin Williams. He's singing in He's singing some song about flipping or whatever, and it sounded like totally what you hear at those Arabic house of prayers, you know, when they are singing out on the speakers to the uh, whole city. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I thought, oh, and I, I, I told him about that later. I thought, man, I wish I could remember which episode that was, but it totally sounded like some Muslim call of prayer. And I say that with full respect to anybody. I don't mean any disrespect um, to, the, to the Muslim faith, but um, I just, it was hilarious. Yeah, and, he's, he's awesome. He's just such an action-taking guy. He's the, the epitome of what we, you guys were saying earlier, right? Like perfection is the enemy of good or done is the new perfect. I figured what Alex said, per- performance is the killer of production. I just, I just perfected that. You ready? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Come on now. But, All right, here it comes. The desire for perfection is the demise of production. Oh, well. he, you you did that real time <laughs> while we've been talking about this other stuff. When did you have the brain power to, to perfect that? Now? Dude, He's my, a machine, brain, ladies and gentlemen. my brain goes in so many different directions. It's very, it's painful for me. <laughs> but Justin, um, that's a perfect example of how he just, he just takes action. I mean, he just says like, look, you're not perfect. Like he just do it, you know? And it's, it's amazing that just doing stuff yeah. is what, what causes, you know? Fail new, forward. New perfect. Fail, fail forward, absolutely. Fail forward fast. Absolutely. Um, okay, so cool, Andy. Let's do this. I, I need to get going. I got to help feed my kids. I'm I'm dad for a week. I mean, uh, I'm always dad. I'm I'm mom. <laughs> <laughs> I am a mom and dad for a week with three. Where's of, your wife? She's in Kosovo. What? Look at this guy. Look at this guy. Kosovo. So you're in Prague and she's in Kosovo <laughs> yeah. by herself. No, with my ten year old son. 
How far well, is I'll... Kosovo from Prague? Is it's like? Do you even know where Kosovo is? It sounds Ukrainian or something. <laughs> sounds like Kokomo, like the Beach Boys. It's song. in the Bahamas. No, just no it's not. <laughs> Kosovo, it's like it's you, that's like a it's, it's, yes, it's one of the former Yugoslavian ah, states see, or republics it. or something. And it's part of. I, it's so confusing to me. The Bosnian Serbian area. Um, war-torn region. Our yeah, church there's been wars over there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, our church, St. Louis Family Church, awesome church, slfc.org. Um, St. Louis Family Church does this huge summer kids camp every year in St. Louis. And this last summer we did it, 6,000 kids um, over two weeks. And it's called Jump. Uh, so we do a wow. kids camp in Kosovo every year um, It's along the similar um, line. And they have about 2,500 kids, and it's really, really awesome. So my wife is going to volunteer and help with my 10-year-old son, and they're there uh, helping uh, serve. And it's really cool. It's this kids' camp. They they do soccer uh, camps, you know, like soccer, what do they call it, lessons or something like that. Um, and then they do they help kids learn with English. They uh, bring a bunch of dentists from the United States over there for to help kids uh, with their teeth and stuff and um and then they do christian ministry it's it's really really awesome awesome and we just couldn't my my youngest kids are too young to go so i decided i would stay here with the three and it's kind of crazy <laughs> i miss my wife man she's absolutely uh, yeah she's, when when the wife is gone man it's woo. <laughs> she, she is you're oh, like man, man they do a lot a she lot, she is the better half she's the better two-thirds mine too she, oh so anyway so i that's why i need to end this uh my kids are doing pretty good i mean i don't smell any smoke uh. <laughs> 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 but uh uh, Andy, let's do this. Let's end this for now, and and we'll reschedule for the part two. And Andy, where can people go to get more information about you and and what you do? I do a little social media thing called I Love Real Estate Stories. So if you go to ILoveRealEstateStories.com, or if you go to YouTube and put in Andy McFarland Real Estate, do a ton of videos. Um, we didn't get a chance to talk about that, but I think you guys will dig that if you go there. Andy McFarland Real Estate on YouTube. But yeah, you can go there or just email me at Andy at ILoveRealEstateStories.com. Um, yeah, that's Excellent. how they get all of me. Very good. And we'll talk more about uh, how to sell seller financing deals. Yeah, absolutely. On our Love next it. Part, part two with Andy McFarland. And that's not, that's not sell them to like buyers, but that's to sell the concept to sellers, right? Absolutely. Sell the concept to a seller. Yep. But I'd also like to talk about on the next podcast about how to sell it to buyers if you wanted to, right? Yeah, you can absolutely sell it to buyers. There's a little some nuances there, but we can talk about it. You're basically selling yeah, the you gotta contract. Be careful. Yeah, you got to be. You got to be careful. You got to be careful. But we'll, we can talk about it for sure. Yeah, definitely talk about what to be aware. What to be aware of. Yes, powerful stuff. Awesome blossom. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how it's going to end. Awesome blossom. Well, the uh, no, we got to end better than that. Come on. Okay. How a good about phrase? Good phrase, Andy. Give us a good phrase. The good phrase is. I don't forget what perfection is the killer of production. How about how about not oh I'm gonna screw this up. No, Anybody the desire who desire knows... for perfection because the desire. if you're perfect, that's good. But if you desire for perfection, you know, then that could screw you up. Well, there's nothing wrong with desiring perfection, but like Okay, maybe we gotta work on that. <laughs> Perf- Joe's got one. He's got some gold though. What's what's your what's the gold you got, Joe? Uh, Nashladanau. 
Uh, is that a three-bedroom flat in Prague? What is that? <laughs> Was that German? That's Czech for goodbye and see you later. Okay, all right. I we like it. With that. And don't I ask like me it. to say it again because I, I butchered it and I'm embarrassed. <laughs> But it, somebody in Prague right now is covering their ears, going on now. Oh, that was horrible. Nashlada now, something like Nashlada that. Nashlada now. I, I right. totally butchered that. All right, well, Nashlada nice. now. Great <laughs> podcast. Great podcast. Can't wait for part five. Yes. Okay. Good. See you guys. Right, oh, yeah. our website. Hey, yeah, real estate oh, investing mastery dot com. Mastery dot com. You might want to check that out. Yeah, and check out the uh, fast cash survival kit. Real estate investing mastery dot com. We'll see you in part two, Andy. See you, Andy. Sounds good. See you.